Thank you for listening to the FBH podcast. For more information about our church, feel free to visit www.fbhanford.org. Hey, happy new year, everybody. How we doing? Woo! You guys are excited for Jeff, but not, I get it. We'll bring him back. You guys have abs yet? No? New Year's resolutions? You guys are like, why are you asking me about abs? It's day two. You guys don't have abs? Quit what you're doing. Okay. Guys, come on. Jeez. Okay. I'm not as funny as I think. I get it. Um, we're starting a brand new series. Uh, this new series is called The Creed. And um, really, this series, we are driving towards uh, our statement of faith. So if you were to go online and you were to go to fbhanford.org, our website, um, there's a little button at the top, a little tab at the top that says, I'm new here. Underneath that tab on I'm new here, there's a little portion that says what we believe. And uh, if you were to click that, you would see our statement of faith broken up uh, in different chunks, right? Uh, there's what we believe about the Bible, what we believe about God, church, um, uh, human beings, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, like all of those different things are kind of chunked up into, uh, into different pieces. And this, this statement of faith really is our guiding principle as a church regarding what we find to be non-negotiable. What we feel like, hey, you know what? Uh, we, these are things that we cannot flex on, that we feel like there is no gray area in here. And these aren't things that like me and Jeff got together one afternoon and were like, hey, what do you feel like are non-negotiable things? No, these are things that actually over the course of the last 129 years, that's how long our church has been in existence, 129 years, um, that these are the things that over the course of that time we have decided are non-negotiable. Okay, and so like I said, there's a whole bunch of different things. And to the best of my knowledge, this has not been, uh, nothing has been removed from this. That's good news. Okay, we have added a couple of things since the inception of our church. And so, you know, as society continues down the direction that society is going, uh, the church at some point felt like the inclusion of a, a, a biblical standpoint of marriage should be included. So we have what we believe regarding marriage in there. And all of this is locked into our constitution. Like this is what we have to abide by. We cannot be, uh, like I, when I uh, applied to come on to staff here, right, one of the first things I did was actually look at the statement of faith. Because if I read through that statement of faith and there was something on there, I was like, mm, I object to that. Like, I can't get behind that. Then I would not be qualified to be on staff here, right? The same goes for everybody that we hire on staff. Like, if they cannot affirm our statement of faith and be like, you know what? Yes, I can get behind that. Yes, I can teach that. Then we're simply going to say, hey, you know what? Sorry, we're going to try to find somebody else. And so this is something that is a huge deal. And I feel like for the most part, for Christians, um, maybe Christians who have shifted churches or they move from one place to another and they're checking out a new church or whatever, man, they come, we come in and we're like, oh yeah, okay, coffee's decent for church coffee. You know what I mean? Like it's fine. It's passable. It has caffeine in it. They have donuts. They're super friendly at the door. And the worship team was good. And the pastor talked about Jesus. All right. It checked all my boxes. Like I'm good to go. But the reality is, is that we actually should be taking a deep dive, taking a closer look as Christians regarding what it is that we say that we believe and we affirm. And so as you are like out in the community, and I'm sure like, man, you guys can't wait to tell your friends to go to First Baptist Hanford, like I get it, okay? But what you are doing by saying, I attend First Baptist Hanford, or I go to First Baptist Hanford, is you are now affirming everything that we say we believe. You are saying, yep, I am submitting to their statement of faith. What it is that they believe 
is now on you, especially if you're a member here, right? If you're a member here, like we give you a copy of our constitution to read through, it's super riveting, but at least the first page is really, really important for you to be able to understand because you are now affirming what it is that we say we believe as a church on your own. Um, any parents in here done, done the Elf on the Shelf thing? Elf on the Shelf? Any of you? Yeah, you guys are like, it's the dumbest decision of my life, but yes, I'm going to raise my hand. For those of you who don't know what Elf on the Shelf is, okay, it's a terrible idea that came about about 10 years ago now, okay? Maybe 10, yeah, 10-ish years ago. And so someone got the bright idea that they should, anybody, Elf, if you have kids in here, plug their ears, okay? And they like do the Elf on the Shelf thing. So, um, Anyway, they got the bright idea that, hey, we're going to get this little stuffed elf, and we're going to have a book that goes along with this little stuffed elf. And so what will happen is they'll buy the book, they'll buy the elf, and the parents, man, they're going to read through this book. And, and, and the whole concept behind it is you have this elf that parents, you would place different places at, uh, at night, right, after the kids go to bed. You move the elf somewhere. And some parents get ridiculous about it right? Like, I saw one where, like, Elsa was uh, fighting the elf, and she had frozen him into an ice cube, like, way over the top, like, fighting Ninja Turtles, like, different things like that, and I'm like, whatever. Like, for me, it's like, wherever I can throw him fastest before my kids wake up, because I forgot to move it the night before, right? Like, that's what it's turned into for us. But the whole concept behind it is that there's this elf that comes, that, that, that it, it comes and it's in a place and it watches you. It watches your kids, keeps an eye on them. And so then at nighttime, the elf flies back to the North Pole and reports to Santa all of the things that the kids have been doing, good or bad, right? And then the elf flies back and he's somewhere else now, right? Like that's the whole concept behind it. If, if you don't have kids, and you are going to have kids at some point, don't ever do Elf on the Shelf. It's, it's like a long-term commitment. This is my like second longest relationship outside of my wife that I have is Elf on the Shelf. Okay? And so, so our kids, though, like as they were younger, they believed that this Elf on the Shelf thing happened. right? That, that he would fly back to the North Pole, all the magic, all the stuff, and everything like that. And it's fine, and it's good, and it's imaginative, and it's all of those things. But the reason they believe those things is because mom and dad said, you should believe these things. Mom and dad, the authority figures in their lives, were like, hey, you know what? This is what it is that you should believe. Because we, like, we have authority over them. And our, ki- like, our kids believe that. Like, we, have, we have fabricated this story in order for them to like understand the, the, the magic or, or maybe participate in the magic that is Christmas. But herein lies the problem in our world. If we simply believe something that someone said or simply believe something because someone said it is true, unless that authority is real, we could be led astray. Now this whole elf on the shelf thing, I put it on my kids for not doing their research about whether or not elves are real right? Like, that's their fault. They should know that mom, no, but they, like, we have authority in their lives, and so because of that, right, they believe these things. And so this is why we have a problem with correct belief in our modern era, not because of elves, but because people no longer do research for themselves or even read the scripture. They claim to believe. They simply listen to people who they have given authority to in their lives. 
This is both good and bad. There are good authorities and there are bad authorities in our lives. Sometimes these are good authority figures, mom and dad, moms and dads, experts in the field, peer-reviewed articles, okay? People who, who like you have done the, the necessary work and the necessary research in order to have an opinion on these things. Those are good authorities. And you can still disagree with those authorities, but they are learned authorities. Other times they're not good authority figures, Really, maybe not authority figures at all. People expressing merely maybe their, their feelings without the facts being substantiated. Okay? TikTok stars, <laughs> YouTubers, right? Not that all of them are bad or anything like that, but if that is where like, you are finding authority, if that is where you are finding your belief system without substantiating the facts behind those things, and you're going to get led astray. Like, like you, you're going to com- be completely and totally lost. And the problem isn't, isn't that they are listening to what they have to say. The problem is, is that we no longer have the capability of thinking rationally to form conclusions on our own. Because we cannot or we have not put in the work in order to do so. That responsibility is ours and ours alone. This may have happened to you. Right? And a lot of times, like, this, is, this can be a good thing. Like, you know, in churches like ours, it's actually a good thing. A lot of people in our congregation have come to faith thanks to the steady hand of mom and dad in their lives as authority figures. That is a good thing. That is a good authority in their lives. But even if that's you this morning, even if that's you, that you're like, you know what, yep, I came to faith because my mom and dad, well, I had a drug problem, as some people like to say. I got drugged to church every single Sunday by mom and dad, right? Like, like that's, that is their story. And mom and dad, they, they drugged me to church and it, it guided me and it moved me, it moved me forward. And so while that's, while that's a positive thing, even for you this morning, you need to recognize that it is incredibly important for you to understand what it is that you believe as well. And even the church that you are a part of, maybe it's your first time here, the church that you're attending Man, you have to be on board with the things that they are affirming as non-negotiable or else you're going to have a hard time being a part of that community, right? That, that, that is an, an issue. So we need to take a close look at these things. So you have a, a working knowledge of these things that we claim to believe. But the issue is, is that, that, that the issue in the world has become that people claim to believe something simply because of the way it makes them feel rather than the fact that it is the truth of what they have discovered. That, that truth and feelings, like these things cannot be opposite of each other. Oftentimes we think that they are, okay? You can't say, nope, I'm only standing on truth and I don't care about anybody's feelings. You can't say, I'm only standing on people's feelings and I don't care about what the truth is. Those two things actually have to go hand in hand. How, like how these things make you feel and also whether or not they are true. That's why I've said numerous times from here that it no longer matters in Christianity if it is true. That's a hard thing. Like my generation and below, they care less about it if it, whether or not it is true. They care, more, they care more about whether or not it works. Results-oriented. Does it work? Well, the good news is, is that it is both true and it works. Those two things can go hand in hand equally, but this is like the, the purveying thought. Even look at, look at college rates nowadays. There are fewer and fewer young adults who are opting into college. 
Well, even though statistically speaking, when you get out of a college, you have a better chance of getting a higher paying job. Young people are realizing more and more that you don't need to go $100,000 into debt to be successful in life. Now, I'm not saying that that's a bad thing if you're $100,000 into debt or anything like that and say you need to do your best to pay it off. But with the rise of technology, with the rise of, of, of the internet, with the rise of all of the information ever created at the fingertips of every single person in this room currently, you are able to make a good living without ever stepping foot onto a campus of a four-year college. Okay? Now, we recognize it is true what our guidance counselor said, that statistically speaking, that this is probably better for you to make sure that you can get a good paying job. We also recognize that there's another pathway that happens to work, okay? So what is true and what, is wor- what works? So in this series, we are going to be tackling what it is that we at FBH believe are the most important things for the believer to understand. And again, I want you to understand, these are not things that we just simply came up with, okay? These 11 different things we need to be on board with. And so we're going to take the next several weeks and we're going to go through these, these different things. Okay, here's the, the couple areas that it covers. It's, it's the Bible, the Trinity, the Father, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, human beings, salvation, the local church, eternal security, eternity, and marriage. Those 11. Okay, we're not going to take 11 weeks. We're going to scrunch some of them up together. But like I said, go to our website, read through these things, and make sure you're on board before you come back next week. Because if you're like, no, I can't, I can't stand on that. I don't believe those things. And and this probably isn't a great place for you. Or if you're like, ah, I don't know how I feel about it. Great, come back. Let us challenge your thinking a little bit. Let us have those different conversations. But aside from all that, the statement of faith, all these things that we don't waver, this is also what we would simply call our doctrine. Okay, doctrine is a word that pastors like to throw around. A lot of times it's interchangeable with the word theology, like what we believe. Doctrine is actually slightly different. The word doctrine is actually pastor, pastor talk for the word teaching. But, but Christian doctrine specifically, it's, it's the attempt to state in intellectual, this is the definition, the attempt to state in intellectual responsible terms the message of the gospel and the content of the faith that it elicits. So if we don't have a statement of faith, if we don't have our doctrine that guides us, then anyone could say anything from this stage, and we would have nothing to disprove them outside of the Bible, which a lot of you are thinking, the Bible is all we need. I agree with you. However, we have a problem with interpretation of Scripture a lot of times. Two people can open up the same book of the Bible and interpret what it says very, very differently. And so unless we have a statement of faith that's guiding us regarding what it is that we believe about the Bible, then we're going to have a difficult time making sure that, that, that whoever is preaching from the stage isn't preaching heresy or isn't saying something that, that we don't believe. So this guides us. And if you ever hear myself or Pastor Jeff or Pastor Kyle, probably Pastor Kyle, say something outside of our statement of faith from the stage, you need to come and have a conversation with us. Because one of two things needs to happen. One, we just need to clear the air because it's a misunderstanding. And maybe you heard something that wasn't said or they said something that they didn't actually mean or something like that. Or two, we need to be removed from the stage and not allowed to teach here ever again. Or at least until we have, we have taken responsible steps to be able to get back on stage. It is that important. It is that big of a deal. So today we need to focus on what the cornerstone of all of this stuff is. I know a lot of you guys are like, okay, if this is the cornerstone of what it is that we believe, we're obviously starting with God. No, 
We start with what it is that we believe about the Bible. And the reason we do that is because the Bible and what we believe about the Bible, it actually, it allows us to have a lens to look through as we are reading about and learning about what it is that we do believe about God, what it is we do believe about Jesus, what it is we do believe about all of these other things. It's the same lens. So we need to get on board with what it is that we believe about Scripture before we can start walking through what it is that we believe about God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit and everything, like all of those things. Because if we can't find, like if we don't believe the same things about the Bible, we are not going to be able to find common ground regarding anything for the most part in our lives. And we need to know what it is we believe about the Bible because if I have a different understanding of Scripture and its importance, than someone else, we are never going to be able to find that common ground. Like if I believe that scripture is authoritative in all that it teaches, which I do, and we're going to get to that in a second. If I believe that that is true and someone else simply thinks it's merely a book from a whole bunch of different authors who used to be alive and now aren't, we're going to have a hard time seeing eye to eye with the rest of our beliefs. Because I have a very specific set of rules and values that I abide by, that I live by. Like, let's take, let's take giving, for example. And like Pastor Jeff said, we finished in the black. Very, very thankful to all of you who allowed us to do that. But if I say that, that anyone who believes in God and calls upon his son as their savior, right, so a Christian, should not only give 10% of their income to the church, but beyond that should live a life of generosity. And someone disagrees with me. Okay, then in that case, and I'm going to proof text here. For those of you who know what proof texting is, you're not supposed to do it, but I'm happy to give you all of these things. But I could, I could turn to Leviticus 27.30 and tell you what, what that says, or Matthew 10.8, or Matthew 10.42, or Luke 6.38, or Luke 12.33-34, Acts 2.44-45, or, or Acts 20.35. Like I could do, like I could turn to those places, And I believe what the Bible says because I believe specific things about Scripture. And if someone disagrees with me and doesn't hold the Bible in that same high regard, specifically in its authority, then then they can simply say, I disagree with you. And moreover, the church is only interested in people's money anyway. That's all they've ever cared about. Right? You guys have heard that before. The church only wants people's money. If that were true, we'd go after richer people. I mean, let's be honest. Right? So, what we believe about the Bible is incredibly important. And if this is what, so this is what our statement of faith says we believe about Scripture. We're going to do our best to get it on the screen. Hey, good news, because we finished in the black, man, we got, we got to update our computer in the back, which has been terribly, terribly glitchy. Look, it's already on screen. Okay, here we go. The Bible is God's word to us. This is what you'll find in our statement of faith. The Bible is God's word to us. It was written by human authors under the supernatural guidance and inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It is the supreme source of truth for Christian beliefs and living. Because it is inspired by God, it is authoritative in the life of the believer. That's great. And for the most part, we're like, yep, mm-hmm, nodding along, we understand. But there's a whole lot of words without any scripture on here. Okay, and so if this is what it is that we believe, let's back it up with a little bit of scripture so we understand what it is that we, like where this came from. So the first part, the Bible is God's word to us. I think for all of you who grew up in Sunday school, you guys would probably agree with this. Like, no problem. Yes, the Bible is, is God's word to us. But I want you to think for a second because oftentimes we say the Bible is God's word we like, it kind of loses focus for us a little bit. We're like, oh yeah, so like it shifts to just like this book that sits there. 
These are literally God's words. Like this would be like God writing a letter to you or God writing an email or a text message. I don't know, whatever, like whatever modern day, you know, thing we want to go with. Like, th- like that is what this is. These are literally his words. So we need to be okay with it. But, but why, though, is that important? So in our study with God, we have to understand that there's, there's two different types of revelation, and I've talked about this before. Okay, the first type is general revelation. These are theological terms. You can write them down if you want. You don't have to. But the first is general revelation. General revelation is just the awe of God that you see out in natural, natural places, right? My, my normal um, uh, story I go with this is, you know, probably right now, really, is you're driving through tunnel view as you're going to Yosemite, right? And it's dark and everybody's trying to hold their breath and your kids are trying to hold their breath, but they're really breathing through their nose. And then you get out to the end of tunnel view and it just opens up and it's massive and it's expansive, right? And you got Half Dome off in the distance and El Capitan off on your left and you got Bridalveil Falls that's right now is probably just frozen to the side of the rock and it's covered in, in white and beauty and you think to yourself, there is no way that someone could look at this and not believe that there is a God, right? That in itself, that's general revelation that you think, how can the complexity of creation exist you can study in high school that the, the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell, right? Like you can study those different things and think, man, this is so complex. How, how could there not be a designer to this? That's general revelation, and that's good, that all of creation points to God. All of creation points to a creator. The problem with general revelation, though, is it falls short of instruction towards salvation, so, so you couldn't just go outside, walk out, and see Half Dome and be like, oh, yep, I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior in my life, right? It falls short of that. So the good news is, is that God, in his kindness, actually revealed himself to us in a special way. This is specifically the word of God. It's supernatural communication from God that has been given to humanity. That's what this is. That's what the Bible is, and the Bible is very, very clear about it. Like, that's why the Bible was written. So we have specific instructions on not just how to live a moral life, but also how to live a life that we can enter into the kingdom of God. It gives us specific instructions. It gives us the story of Christ going to the cross for our redemption. Like it tells us all of those things. And without the word of God, we would have no clue about those things. So his instruction is necessary for us. Matthew 4, 4, it says, Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's what the Bible is, his word. We need his word, his word to us. Okay, so let's keep cranking. The next part, it says, it was written by human authors under the spirit, supernatural guidance and inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Okay, it's a hard one. It's a hard one for people to understand because we don't get it, right? It's like trying to explain the Trinity to people. Every, everything that you come up with to try to explain it is ultimately going to fall short because we weren't there. We don't, understand, we don't understand it specifically. We understand it to the best that we can in, in theological terms, so we don't have time to do a deep dive into all of it, okay? But I'm going to do my best to, uh, to go over the basics of what we believe about this. So the basics of the Bible. The Bible is 66 books, and I know for some of you, you're like, 
I know. Thank you. Bible is 66 books. The first 39 books we would call the Old Testament. Okay? The second 27 books we would call the New Testament. The Old Testament originally written in Hebrew. The New Testament was written in, in Greek, Greek. And these books span stories and occurred over 4,000 years. I know for us, it's so far back that we're like, oh, whatever, yeah, those were probably all just like a couple hundred years apart. Like, it's, we get it. They're just a bunch of old stories together because it's so far back there. But it's 4,000 years from Genesis to Revelation. That's a long, long time. And not only was it, was it 4,000 years of human history, but, but there were as many as 40 different human authors I say as many as is because we don't know the authorship of every single book. We have good guesses, okay, but we can't like stand on all of those guesses without like some sort of reasonable doubt. So we have at least 40 different human authors. They came from diverse cultures. They came from different back backgrounds, writing styles, and genres. All were used to write the Bible. And it comes into this beautiful, cohesive story from, from point A to point Z, I guess, like start to finish that it does not contradict itself, right? That, that, that it's authoritative in everything that it affirms. Like you would be hard-pressed to get 40 of us who all come from relatively the same context and, and put us in a room and say, okay, all 40 of you, I want you all to write a different story. But, but in that story, you need to recognize that nothing can contradict another story in the room. Nothing can it's not allowed to happen. You'd be hard-pressed for, for us to be able to, to compare two papers and do that. Like, you'd be incredibly hard-pressed, much less 40 people over the course of 4,000 years. And so we have to remember, in the midst of this, like our bread and butter verse that we always go to when it talks about Scripture, it says this in 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17. It says, all Scripture, say all, yeah, notice I didn't say some. It says all scripture. Yeah, that includes the book of Numbers. It includes the book of Kings. It includes Leviticus. As much as you guys hate to read the book of Leviticus, like, like it includes all. So all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So all scripture, all of it, all 4,000 years of it, all 40 authors of it, all 66 books of it, all two languages of it, all of it is useful. All of it is God-breathed. So how did all of these different things come together? How did these 40 different authors over thousands of years gather into one book? How did he inspire every word of Scripture through these human authors? Because a lot of times people are like, oh, well, the Holy Spirit obviously just came upon him and like put him in a trance. And like he woke up and the book of John was written. Like crazy how that worked. Like that's not, that's not how it happened. Maybe they, maybe they like achieved a level of enlightenment that tuned them into like God, unlike any other human being had ever been clued in before or enlightened before. That's not it either. So instead, and it's a very boring answer for those of you looking for like, oh man, this is going to be good. It's a boring answer. It really is. Is that we would actually say that God used the personalities, the intellects, and the abilities of each writer of scripture to communicate his word. That's it. Like common people used in uncommon ways put real ink on paper as God directed them. That's it. I know you guys were hoping for something a little bit more sparkly and magical, but that's it. Like the Holy Spirit inspired them to write these things. 
And so if you look at scripture, you can read one book and then go to the next book and recognize like, man, like this is not like it's one story, but it doesn't feel like the authorship is cohesive. Like you read things that Paul wrote in the New Testament and Paul was smart. Okay, Paul, Paul was learned. This was a man that, that, I mean, he knew the entire law of the Old Testament. He was a Pharisee. He, he wrote and spoke for a living. Okay, this is what he, not for a living, but he, he did that. And then you read things that Peter wrote, okay, the dumb fisherman, okay, and it's disjointed, like, it's like, it, it would be like a fisherman was writing a letter to you versus like a really smart person writing a letter to you. So fisherman out there, I'm sorry if I insulted you, okay, but, but, but you can see the differences in styles and all those different things, and it's beautiful to see all of these things come together, but beyond just styles, you see different things like poetry, story, legal codes, personal letters, apocalyptic revelation, for those of you who are into the Left Behind series in the early 2000s, drama, okay, and even fortune cookie-like sayings from the book of Proverbs, right? Like all of these different things come together and, and not just the different genres, but God used so many different people. He used royalty and shepherds and fishermen and doctors and farmers and, and prophets and priests and, and pagans and musicians and aristocrats and all of these different people, most of whom were just simply ordinary people. That, like, like God used common people to do uncommon things as the Bible was written and that should, man, that should give us joy, that should excite us because all of us, for the most part, are uncommon people. Wait, we're common people. Sorry, your parents would tell you you were uncommon. You're all common, okay? We're all common people. And so maybe, maybe it helps if, if we say it like this, that, that these people, they weren't robots. These people were actually messengers, Maybe that's helpful to get, get in your head that, that they were just simply people delivering a message that God had written to them. I think if we hold that frame of mind that they aren't robots but messengers, we'll have an easier time understanding this notion. Okay, so let's keep going. The next part of, of our statement of faith, it says, again, talking about the Bible, it is the supreme source of truth for Christian beliefs and living. Okay, this should not be the most controversial statement in our statement of faith. But over the course of the past two decades, probably is. Again, it says it is the supreme source of truth for Christian beliefs and living. As Christians, we need to recognize that when God says something is true and God says something is authoritative, that's the end of the story. We don't get to second guess that. We don't get to kind of piece together what it is that we do believe and don't believe from Scripture. If God says it's true and authoritative, it is. Luke 16, 17, it talks about the fact that, that well, I'll just read it. It says, but it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one stroke of a letter to, of the law to fail. Like this isn't going away, okay? And, and actually Luke, Jesus is talking about, about establishing, you know, he fulfills the law. He didn't break the law from the Old Testament and that sort of thing. Okay, but, but the, the word of God, the letter of the law will not fail. And so truth means that, that regardless of how you feel about something, that it does not change. So when the speed limit says 45 and you are going 46 and you get pulled over and cited for going 46, you broke the law because the truth is that the law is 45 and you are going 46. doesn't matter how you feel about it. Those are the facts and that is what the truth is. 
And so, so the frustrating thing and the hard part of this and why this tends to be controversial today is the common logic of today about the Bible is simply like it's a book of good stories that, that doesn't hold up. Like, yeah, they're good stories and we can pull things from it just like we can pull things from other fictional writing and man, it's great and it's good and it's inspiring and all those different things and, and yeah, it gives some good advice, but, but for the most part, the authority of the Bible, the Bible is truthful has kind of been put on the shelf, and people want to just relate to Jesus. Because Jesus, for the most part, is a non-threatening character in our society today. No one gets mad at you if you say, I want to live like Jesus. But a lot of people might be frustrated with you if you tell them that you're a Christian. Because Christian, that word Christian comes with a whole lot of extra baggage, it seems like, right? A whole lot of extra things that we believe, and I think the word Christian is fine. I know a lot of people in like my generation and younger is like, I'm a Christ follower. I'm not a Christian for that very reason. Okay, but I think, I think this idea of being a Christian does hold that baggage. And people, and they're just like, you know what? No, I, I, I want to be like Jesus. I want to emulate Jesus. Jesus is a great guy we should look up to. But the Bible has no authority because really the Bible is just a collection of authors. Well, here's the deal. That, that argument doesn't really hold up. Because if you're like, hey, Jesus is a really good guy, I like him, I think his teaching was really good, his teaching is foundational, it's sound, and, and man, I just want to live like Jesus did. If that's what you are saying, but you don't believe in the authority of the Bible, then the Jesus that you want to be is a liar. Because Jesus consistently in the Gospels, over and over and over again, affirms what the Old Testament said. He teaches from the Old Testament over and over and over again. So if you're like, yeah, I like Jesus, but I don't believe in the authority of the Bible, okay, then you don't like Jesus. Because Jesus talks about the authority of Scripture. He uses it to back up his claims all the time, right? And so it's something that, that, that it really doesn't, doesn't hold up with. Okay, one of the best ways I can, I can maybe articulate how this fallacy is, is simply by pointing that, that like, if, if, you have, if you have faith in Christ, it demands that you also have faith in Scripture. Man, it's an easier way for us to say it. Because Christ affirms Scripture. Not just, not just the stories that were written about him, not just the gospel that was written about him and the good news of Christ and his redemptive qualities and all of those different things. Not just that, but all of Scripture, all of it. So if you think Jesus was a great guy, then you have to have faith in Scripture. And so you can't think he was a great teacher and not believe, that, that, not believe what it is he used as foundational principles of his teaching. Like I said, it would make him a liar. So if we believe all these things about the Bible, we believe it was inspired, we, we believe it's God's word to us, we believe that, that it's true, and it is for moral living, then the last part of our doctrinal statement here, the last part of what it is that we believe about the Bible, it says this, it says, because it is inspired by God, it is authoritative in the life of the believer. Okay, this is where the rubber hits the road for us. For, for the first couple lines of this, it's just kind of like head knowledge, right? Like, oh yeah, I believe that, I believe that, I believe that. This means that we have to do something about it. This last portion, because it is inspired by God, is authoritative in the life of the believer. So if there is an authoritative figure in your life and they tell you to do something, you kind of have to do it. And if you don't, there's going to be repercussions for that, right? Okay, good example. Uh, my kids went to a sleepover the other night. 
And it was great. They had a great time. And we told them, hey, look, if you don't, if you don't go to sleep tonight, like, like you're going to be a mess tomorrow. Okay, so just be aware of that. You can make your own choice about it. Okay, now as the super enlightened uh, preteens that they are, they chose, hey, I'm not going to sleep tonight. Totally okay. Totally fine. And I'm not going to tell you which one of them did this, but one of them came to us afterwards. We were home and we were like, hey, buddy, it's time to go to sleep. He just walked up and he was just bawling, just like crying. It's like, hey, what's wrong, man? He's like, I just want to go to sleep. It's like, yeah. Listen to the authority figure in your life who said it's a better call to go to sleep than it is for you to stay up for 16 hours playing video games, man. Like, it's just a better call, right? And so, so if we have an authority figure in our life who tells us to do something, we should probably do it or else there's going to be repercussions. Same holds true for Scripture. Matthew 5, 17 to 19, it says this, Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish but to fulfill. For, surely, for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until it is all accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Okay, this, this series we are walking through needs to be handled well. We have to handle it well because what we say we believe defines who it is that we are. What we say we believe defines who it is that we are. It's like the series that we walked through back in October and November where I consistently said belief in something should dictate action or else it's just knowledge, right? Like I know if I eat lower calorie foods, I will lose weight. That doesn't necessarily mean I believe it. You know what I mean? Like, like, and, so, and so this should be true of our lives. It, it should have authority in our lives. Scripture should have authority in our lives in a greater way than your boss. Scripture should have more authority in your life than your parents or, or law enforcement or government. It should dictate what it is you do, what it is you say, and what it is you believe. That's the authority it should have in our lives. And this is why we have to get this first part right. This is why we have to understand what it is that we believe about Scripture before we look at anything else, because it has to have a common, a common lens. Because if we can't agree on what the Bible is, then we're never going to have common footing on how the world functions. And I think this is the difficult part for, for non-Christians to see. If, if you're here this morning and you, and you claim to believe in God, and you claim the Bible is true, and you claim the Bible is authoritative, but you don't live like it is, the non-Christian is going to be frustrated by that. And the non-Christian is going to go a step further and call you a hypocrite and not listen to anything that you have to say about faith. I'm just calling it like I see it, right? Like that's, that's the frustration with the church. That's the baggage that comes with that word Christian instead of Jesus follower is that our moniker has been hypocrites for years now, that we say one thing and do another. And, and as much as, as we should be okay falling short of what God commands us, because we're all, we're all broken people and are never going to do everything perfectly, we still need to do everything in our power to represent the gospel in the best way that we can. Meaning, 
that we do what the Bible says we should do because it has authority in our lives. So when the Bible says, and this is going to sting a little bit, just a heads up. So when the Bible says that we as Christians should love our neighbor, but we don't love our neighbor, you're a hypocrite and the Bible isn't authoritative in your life. Or when the Bible says that you're supposed to be generous with your finances and your time and you aren't, then you're a hypocrite and the Bible isn't authoritative in your life. Or when the Bible says that true religion is to take care of the orphaned and the widowed and you aren't caring for the least of these in some way, then you're a hypocrite and the Bible doesn't hold authority in your life. Like that's what we're talking about here. And it's so easy for us to be like, oh yeah, I really like this piece. I'm really going to do this piece because I'm really good at discipleship. I'm going I'm to study my Bible a lot and just talk to this one small group of people about what it is that I believe. But I'm going to ignore evangelism. I'm going to ignore talking to people. Or I'm really good at talking to people, but I'm not good about bringing up difficult subjects. So I'm going to be really nice to people, but I'm not ever going to present the gospel to people. Like if that's true, then you're a hypocrite and the Bible isn't authoritative. And let me be clear, like, if, if you're, like, you're, like, beating me up right now, let me be clear, like, this is true of all of us sometimes. Because the Bible is clear in Romans 3.23 that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Like, we, we should recognize that, that none of us are ever going to hit the standard perfectly. And so that's when this, this beautiful idea of grace comes in. This beautiful idea that, that in, in Genesis chapter 3, man fell. And sin entered into the world. And then the rest of Scripture consistently points to, even in the Old Testament, consistently points to a Savior who is going to come over and over and over again. And then as we just celebrated at Christmas time that Christ came. And then as we're going to celebrate in just a couple short months that, that Christ not only came to earth but then redeemed us by going to the cross, taking our sin upon himself submitting to death, rising three days later, and then ascending back into the kingdom after that, back into the kingdom of heaven. And we know all of those things, not because we went out and looked at Half Dome and saw that it was pretty. We know all of those things because the Bible says those things, and we recognize that authority in our lives. So even as you're here today and you're like, yes, I, I've made a profession of faith. I, I, I believe in God. Like, I am bearing fruit in my life. Like, like, if that's you, the only reason you were able to come to that conclusion and understand what is happening, to the best of our ability anyway, is because of Scripture. It's because it has authority in your life. And so we have to get this part right. Because the Bible gave us clear instructions on everything that we do. It's why we sing as part of our worship experience. It's why we do events so people can come to know Jesus. It's why we teach. It's why we exist as a church. Without the word of God, everything that we do and we believe becomes subjective. The word of God is true. The word of God is authoritative. And that is what we stand on here as a church. So today we do one more thing. We're going to transition in now. It's, it's our, our first Sunday of the month, first Sunday of the year, which means that we get to celebrate communion. And the only reason we celebrate communion, by the way, is because the Bible tells us to. And so if, if, if today, as you were walking in, you didn't receive communion elements, you can just raise your hand. We've got a couple of ushers. They'll come by. Raise it nice and high so they can see you. But that being said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invite the band back up. And while they're coming onto stage... Um, 
I just want you to, to think to yourself, as we got to that, that hard piece of the message that talks about, talks about Christians being hypocrites because we don't do or say what it is that we believe that we should do and say, or when we think about whether or not that the Bible actually has authority in your life depending on how it is that you act, depending on your actions, I want you to take a second, and as the band plays in just a minute, they're going to play a song, and then um, we're going to receive communion together. But as that happens, I just want you to commune with God for a second and ask yourself, where is it in your life that the Bible does not hold authority? Because I think there are some places where maybe it does, and some places where you're like, nah, not so much. And I would venture to say those places that you're kind of white-knuckling, those places that you're, you're doing your best to hold on to, to some of those things are probably the places where the Holy Spirit needs to work most. And so I would ask you this morning to, to take that opportunity, commune with God, confess your sins to him, and ask him where it is that the Bible does not yet hold authority in your life. Why don't we pray? Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word Thank you for your son. And God, this morning, I just, I want to take a second and, and think about the fact that, that you have offered us grace and we know that you offered us grace because of the Bible, that you have, have offered us beauty and majesty that we are able to see out in, in nature and that, that general revelation is great, but, but how much greater is your special revelation that, that we can't even see outside of the outcomes of it, of changed lives. But how much more beautiful is that special revelation, God? Thank you for it. And so this morning, if, it, if you're sitting here with heads still bowed and eyes still closed, and you think to yourself, I, I, want, to, I want the Bible to be more authoritative in my life, or, or I want God, I want to be part of this kingdom of God because I recognize that I can't do it on my own. If that's you, maybe for the first time or for the thousandth time that you're, you're committing your life to Christ, you can pray along with me. Simply say this. Say, Father, A, I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. That your word tells me that in the book of Romans. That I have fallen short of your glory. I admit that, Father. But B, I believe that you sent your Son to die on the cross for me that all of that sin that I have partaken in, that I will partake in, God, that he took that upon his cross. I believe that. And he conquered death three days later so I could be with you forever. And see, I would choose to follow you every single day of my life. And that means us recognizing that your word is indeed authoritative and the things that I do, the things that I say, the things that I believe would all come from you and your word. Because you have authority and because of that, your words do. We love you, Father. It's in your son's name we pray.